Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a placement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Good morning to everybody at the 930 service. I want to welcome everybody that's watching online as well. Our word for today is help, and that's going to take on a whole new meaning in just the next couple of moments uh, as we have a bit of a family meeting. If you're new to the family, welcome. You can eavesdrop. We'd love to have you be a part of this. For the last six years, uh, my brother and I have done a lot of this together. We have been uh, brothers, friends, co-lead pastors, um, Israel tour leaders. We eat tacos together. We've eaten a lot of tacos together over the year, which is great. And, uh, and it has been an absolute joy. But you have been on a, a journey over this last little bit. And so I've been honored to walk alongside of you as we've walked through this together. But uh, it's brought us to a moment of transition, moments that are always sad, but at the same time necessary at times when you're being obedient to God. So uh, why don't you just kind of share where you're at? I'll, I'll talk about my transition, but first I, I want to talk about uh, CDK Blaine. I was oh, yeah. there this morning praying with the crew who was setting up for their, they're calling it their soft launch this weekend at CDK Blaine, and they were all getting ready, and I was just so very excited for them. So make sure you be praying for them this morning as their first first kind of unofficial church service happens this weekend, and mm -hmm. then they're officially launching next week. So that's that's an awesome kingdom advance. Uh, for for me, I, I, I've been on this journey for almost a year. We, we're kind of going, we're trying to figure out how do we as an elder board, and, and Grant and I are part of the elder board, and there's about another eight guys um, who are part of that. We were looking at how do we best organize and advance what's happening here at CTK, and we came up with some great plans together, and we're figuring this out. And as we we're kind of divvying up the work, um, I just I came to the realization is what is best needed for CTK is not the role that was really being offered me. 
And so, um, there, you know, this isn't a bitter feeling or something. It was just more of, oh, I want what's best for me and I want what's best for this church. And in the middle of all this, God opened up an amazing door for me uh, to go and kind of take the next step of, of my leadership. Um, and I think one of the things I discovered, one, one of the elders, uh, Steve Thompson, he was helping me just process this whole thing. And I realized that I was missing a key component to my leadership, and that's that I preach regularly. And so I am taking a job in the center of the state uh, in Ellensburg, Washington, where I'm going to be the senior pastor there. I'll be able to do what Grant does and preach all the time, too. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so excited to do that. And actually, I'm going next weekend out there to kind of wrap things up with them and, and preach and all that stuff. So um, I'm on a wild adventure right now. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, I, and I'll say this. It's, it's bittersweet for me. This is for sure my favorite job I've ever had. Uh, but when God leads, uh, there is only one thing you can do that's going to feel right to your soul, and that's be obedient. And so that's, that's why this is happening. Yeah. So. I think it's important for our church family to know as elders, we actually tried to talk them out of it, not once, but twice. We said, God loves you. We have a wonderful plan for your life. And, but I also understand the call to preach. And when you've been called to preach, you have to do it or, or you'll die. It's a part of your calling. And we have all been blessed by your communication, your gifting here for six years. We love you so unbelievably much. Um, yeah. So a couple of things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when we said, when God says go. Um, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> Todd's a great picture of obedience. But at the same time, um, I wanted to have an opportunity to thank you for, um, often transitions are difficult because there's something else going on. And thank you for being a man of integrity, a man of character, um, and a person who's blessed us in so many ways. You really have lived out healthy sending movement. And I love the fact because you and Karen are healthy, you are being sent. And now... Uh, our loss, but Mercer Creek's gain is the fact that you're going to move. So uh, I would love an opportunity to pray over my brother this morning. I'd invite you to join me as we pray and be praying for Todd and Karen next weekend. They're going to be over in, in Mercer Creek in Ellensburg and kind of wrapping that whole piece up. And then uh, hopefully they'll be back again for at least a couple more weekends. We get a chance to, to give you all the hugs that we need. And you can say goodbye to all the kids that use you as a set of human monkey bars every time they come into the church in the morning. That would be great. Would you extend a hand towards Todd? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that Todd and Karen have been on a journey. And Lord, while we uh, grieve the loss of a, of a friend, Lord, it's really just an extension of your kingdom. So Lord, we commend him to you. We believe and affirm that he should be leading a church. God, he's been given great vision and great passion and Lord, we know that he's also a phenomenal communicator of your word. So God, I thank you that you're going to open this door for him. Lord, our loss is really not a loss. It's a gain for the kingdom in Mercer Creek in Ellensburg. So Lord, we bless that family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, and we commend to them uh, their new senior pastor. Lord, uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving Todd. And thank you for blessing us with him. For the past six years, we have been truly gifted by him. So Lord Jesus, go with them, release them, and Father, may this journey continue to be sweet today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. you bet.
So Todd and Karen will actually be in the comments afterwards, and if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to express your gratitude, which I hope you will, um, and have an opportunity to, to say thank you to them. Uh, they'll be around for a little while longer, but at the same time, we want to give you that opportunity. So today's word is help. A little more applicable now. We're in a series about seven words God's given us that I believe can completely transform your life and also um, th- th- that I believe God has given us to use. The seven words, thanks, yes, no, help, sorry, enough, and ask are words that we tend to overcomplicate. Sometimes we apologize for them. Sometimes we put qualifiers around them instead of just embracing how God has given them to us as a gift uh, to free ourselves and to even free other people. As I said before, if you put the, the, the whole series in a nutshell, it would be simple. Use your words. That's what we want. As a youth pastor in rural Manitoba, I used to take kids to the mean streets of inner city Chicago to do ministry. Taking high school kids from rural Canada into the inner city of Chicago was an interesting spiritual practice because rural Canadian kids have the street smarts of a possum, and that's just reality. So... We'd go to Chicago and we would serve. And then as part of our experience there, we would go to church on the south side of Chicago. And when I say we went to church, I mean we went to church. The very first series, our very first mission trip that we ever took, we ended up at the Holy Evangelistic Crusaders Church of God in Christ Pullman, South Chicago. Now that's a church name. You thought CTK was long? That is a church name. We went to church and we did church. The senior pastor was 91 years old. He had been at the church for 70 years. 70 years. And he met us at the door and he said, I don't care where you're from, but when you're in Chicago, this is your church and I am your pastor. It was just incredible. So we went in and we did like, it was church for our church. It was so good. And halfway through the church service, the pastor got up and said, we have visitors today from Canada and their pastor will come and bring a word. Uh, I will. (laughs) What's a word? Um, And I remember praying, oh God, help me. (laughs) Oh God, help me. Here was an interesting wrinkle. I forgot my socks. Left them at home. So I'm wearing dress pants because you dressed up for church and wearing dress pants, dress shoes, no socks. And I'm slightly embarrassed because I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do. And our city host, the person who was facilitating our trip, looked at me and they said, go up, bring a, bring a word. And I'm praying all the way to the front. God help me. God help me. I had nothing prepared, no notes, no prep, no socks, no nothing. I got nothing. And I get to the pulpit and it was a pulpit, okay? This huge oak monstrosity, the sacred desk that you would go and preach from. And I'm standing there and I'm completely blank. And the senior pastor's wife, they call her the first lady, is sitting in a chair that looks like a throne down off to my right hand side. And she's kind of sizing me up like, what's this kid got? I have nothing. I got, I got nothing. So she prays out loud because she sees this blank look on my face. Help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. Other people chime in. Help him, Lord. I join in. Help him, Lord. Like, help him now. And, and, and this is the only thing that comes out of my mouth. I forgot my socks. That's all I had. 
And then God whispered something. And I remember saying this. I'm barefoot. But if Moses could be barefoot in front of a burning bush, I think it's okay for me to be barefoot in front of you. And the first lady said, mm-hmm. <laughs> and someone in the second row said, amen. And I thought, oh, yeah. I had more fun for the next 15 minutes than anyone should be allowed to have preaching. I mean, that was actual church. And it wasn't the first time God helped me. I think God has helped all of us in more ways than we can imagine. I'm going to get to the help of God in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to start talking about how we can use this word with each other. Solomon, a man who truthfully was so rich, he didn't need anybody's help. But he wrote these words. Two are better than one. They have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You often hear that last verse at a wedding, but I want to focus on these words. And, and I would encourage you just to circle every time you see the word help. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Two simple questions. Who's helping you? Who are you helping? Deep theology. Who's helping you and who are you helping? Let's start with the first one. Who's helping you? Who do you have in your life that can ask you hard questions and that you could go to if you had a sincere need and you needed some help? Who knows you and loves you enough to sacrifice their time and their effort to actually help you do this thing called life? Solomon has these words in, in another part of Proverbs. He said this, plans fail for lack of counsel. With many advisors, they succeed. Every one of us needs to ask a question. You got a group of people who are smarter than you, braver than you, and love Jesus more than you do that are out in front of you that can blaze a trail as you follow Jesus. Do you have people that you can go to to ask for help? I am so thankful that I have advisors in my life, men and women who are out there in front of me that I can go to and say, look, I just need a little bit of help. Every one of us should have that group of people. It's biblical. It's just simply wise. Let me give you some biblical criterion that you should be looking for in an advisor. Because the truth is some of you need to find some advisors. Some of you need to fire some of your advisors because they're not doing their job. Here's what we need to know. Advisors should be humble. They should be humble. Anyone who shows up in your life and says, son, let me show you how it's done. You can learn a thing or two from the old man. They don't have the humility required to give real life wisdom. Arrogance and advising, that's not a combination that you can live with. Look for a humble person who's out in front of you with some life experience and some street cred. Someone who will invite you to walk a journey with you. I believe this to be true. You can't take someone where you haven't already been. So you need someone who can just get out there in front of you and challenge you in those moments. Secondly, they need to be competent. And you've probably heard the phrase, right? The blind leading the blind. You need someone who's competent enough to be able to identify issues for you, understand you, the best of you, the worst of you, and then point you in a godly direction every time. They have to be competent when it comes to life. I often say this, look for people with a few war wounds. They've earned the right to lead you. Thirdly, they need to be courageous. 
They should be brave enough to take on obstacles, but they also need to be brave enough to tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. The Bible says this. I don't like this verse, but it's good. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have someone in your life who's out there in front of you who would lovingly wound your ego or your pride if that was the best thing for you in that moment? I'm not talking about wounding your spirit, but would they wound your ego? Would they put you back in check? Would they love you enough to tell you the truth? And finally, they should be wise. Do they have common sense and spiritual wisdom? I mean, do they live with their boots on the ground, but also understand that there's a heavenly, there's a heavenly plateau that we're all working off of? You know, can they always point you in a godly direction, even though it must be the most challenging direction? Do they know the word of God? Have they been through some pain? Is the first word out of their mouth, not an opinion, but scripture? That's what an advisor should look like. 2004, I was drowning took over as the senior pastor here in 2003. How many of you were here during those days? Wow, you faithful people. <laughs> Became the senior pastor here, was drowning in a sea of administration, just drowning, and I needed help. At that time, uh, a man named John Havlin was serving on our church board, and John saw what I was going through, and he just showed up one day and said, can I help you? Can I help you? John became our first executive pastor. And let me tell you about him. He was humble. John was always the first person to pray and confess his need for Jesus. He was competent and helped me in more ways than I can count. He just understood things that I couldn't even wrap my head or my heart around. He was brave and at times he would gently point out to me areas of my life that simply needed more of Jesus. I knew that John and I were going to have an iron sharpening iron conversation when he would walk into my office, sit down across from my desk and say, Grant, my son we should talk. He challenged me and pushed me. John was wise and he always wielded his wisdom with a kindness that never made me feel stupid. He was, he was and is a trusted, trusted advisor. And at 1115, when he sits right there, he's going to, he's going to charge the stage and punch me for saying this stuff about him. <laughs> John did all of that work for an entire year. And he asked that his salary would be $1. And at the end of one year, I gave John one crisp American dollar bill. It's all he wanted. I will always be in awe of his love and sacrifice for me in this church when I have an issue or a problem I'll give you one guess who I run to. Everyone here in this room, you need a John Havland. We all need advisors. We should choose them wisely, listen to them. And for the record, a good advisor will always remind you that your chief advisor, his name's Jesus. Who's helping you? Another question, who are you helping? And the Bible says Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Think about it. Jesus helped the woman at the well with just some truth. Jesus helped the Pharisees with lessons about religion versus, versus relationship. They didn't listen. Good lesson there. Not all the help you're going to offer is going to be accepted by people. It should still be offered. 
Jesus helped us all by taking a debt of sin we couldn't pay so that he could wipe our record clean. We've all been helped. And because of that, we should all be inspired to understand and ask the question, who are you helping? Like, who are you helping? Listen to these words from Galatians chapter 6. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. You should probably underline the last part of that verse. I love this passage because it deals with an assumption. It says we should all be able to clearly point out people that we are helping because we've been greatly helped. Every one of us should have a hand up and a hand down 100% of the time. It's an assumption that comes with following Jesus. So if advisors fall under a certain criterion, I think helpers should have the same kind of criterion. So as helpers, as followers of Christ, how do we position ourselves? We should be humble. We should be humble. If you're helping so that somebody else notices, your motive is not pure. Humble helpers of Jesus should be willing to do anything. There's no such thing as something that's beneath us. And if you need a biblical reason for that, look at Jesus, the creator of the world, washing between the toes of his created followers. Sometimes this is challenging for us because we think, you know, we're something. We're nothing. Jesus is everything. He helped us, therefore we should be helping. So we should be humble. Secondly, we should be available. Last week, I empowered you with a no. Some of you, in a very godly way, eliminated some things from your life. Some of my pastors were not really happy with me because some of you actually exercised a no, and now they're recruiting new volunteers again. But I'm good with that as long as it's with balance. I think no's are good. They are empowering. But I'm going to say this. If that's the only word that ever comes out of your mouth when someone asks you for help, something's off. And we need to gut check ourselves. I mean, think about it. You know, when someone, when someone asks you for help, if you have to say no, then you have to say no. But could it be that there's something else you can say yes to? Somebody comes to you and asks you the question that proves whether or not you're a real friend or not. Would you help me move on the weekend? Isn't it amazing how we all find something else to do when somebody's moving, right? But what if our response was different? You know what? I can't help you move this weekend. I've got family in town. But I know three of our common friends and I'll make a phone call. Here's the name of a moving company. They hire out temps that may be able to help you. I'm going to try and help you. I'm going to try and find a yes in all of this because I believe we should be available. Thirdly, helpers, we shouldn't be enabling. I mean, I think there's some room in this conversation for some hard truth, which is this. When you help someone do something they could and should be doing for themselves, when you step in and take a burden that they should be carrying on their own, you can actually do damage. You can actually do damage. When you help someone avoid a conversation they need to have, I got news for you. You're not helping. You're not helping them. When you enable bad behavior, you're not helping, which leads to a part of this verse that I absolutely love. Each one is responsible to carry their own load. You're supposed to carry your own stuff to the best of your ability. And that's important. I mean, think about it. How would you feel? How would I feel if somebody called me and said, hey, Grant, can you do me a favor? Can you come over and mow my lawn? I just need you to mow my lawn. And I say, absolutely. I'll come over and mow your lawn. No problem. 
And I show up, and while I'm mowing the lawn, they're sitting on the front doorstep drinking lemonade. And I ask him a question. You hurt? Nope. You feeling sick? Nope. Just needed your help. So you need, I needed help, so mow the lawn. We wouldn't respond in a godly way. At least I wouldn't respond in a godly way. Because the bottom line is, if you can mow your own lawn, mow your lawn. That's what you're supposed to do. But there's a principle here that's so unbelievably important. Each one of us as helpers should be doing our own work. We're called to help with this understanding. The word burden here, carry each other's burdens. The burden word in Greek means crushing load. Crushing load. When we see someone staggering under the weight of a burden and they call for help with sincerity, as a follower of Jesus, we're compelled to get up underneath of that load, lift just a little bit so the person beside us can breathe and gather their strength so they can get back up underneath of the load. But here's what they're going to discover they're not alone. They're not alone. This is such a powerful piece. Each one of us should carry our own load. So I got a question. Before you just start walking around this morning and said, Grant said we could use the word help, so I'm going to ask help for this and this and this and this and this. I'm going to ask you something. Are you carrying your own weight? Now, if the weight's too much for you, ask for help. Who helps you? Who are you helping? Simple questions. It's the human side. Now we're going to flip it over and look at the heavenly side. When I read the Bible, I quickly see the most important kind of help. Let me listen. Let me read to you from, from King David, who's going to read Psalm 121. It's so unbelievably beautiful. It, it simply says this. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? I want you to know something. When David looked to the mountains, he did not have good memories. David was harassed and chased and persecuted all over that mountainside. He was in the worst moments of his life in those mountains, but in the worst moments of his life when he called to God for help, God showed up. So now he says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. The truth is this, you can have the best advisors in the world to help you. You can be the most helpful person on the face of the earth, but never ever forget, without God, you're helpless. The Holy Spirit of God, in the original language, uses the word paraclete. Let me give you a simple translation. My helper. My helper. God so desperately wants to help us today, but let's be honest, hard to ask, even harder to receive. Why is that? Why is that? I'm talking with my wife this week. I said, why is it so hard for us to ask for help? We came up with a little list. I think here's one of the biggest obstacles for us. It's pride. It's 
pride. I don't need anybody's help, and I certainly don't need God's help. I can do this by myself. I'm just fine on my own. To which Jesus would say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Maybe the biggest spiritual step that we need to take today is to be humble enough to say, God, would you help me? I think that's a beautiful, deep theological prayer. God, help me. It's not like he doesn't know what you're going through. God, help me. Here's another obstacle that I think gets in the way. For some of us asking for help, it just feels weak, right? We've convinced ourselves at some point, I should be able to do this on my own. I should have the strength to figure this out. You know, maybe, but what if you didn't have to? What if you could enlist the help of someone who was stronger, who would walk alongside of you and whisper a verse in your ear? When you're weak, I'm strong. Thirdly, I think this gets in the way. I just don't want to bother anybody. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to be an inconvenience. I would never want to ask for help in that way. I, I didn't know what to say about that, so I'm just going to put it this way. Can we just get over that? Like, can we just step over top of that whole one? I want you to think about something. If you never ask for help, could it be that you're robbing other brothers and sisters in Christ from an opportunity to use a gift? I'm going to tell you something. Grant Fishbook with a power tool is a scary, scary, scary combination. <laughs> it's just not healthy or good. I'm so thankful for people in our church at different times when I've just said, hey, can you help me? I'm going to try and fix this. And if I try to fix it, it's going to end up more broken than it already is. Can you help me? And when people show up and help, it's amazing the number of times you hear, hey, thanks for an opportunity to help out. So think about this. Every time you ask for legitimate help, could it be that you're opening a door for somebody else in this family to use their spiritual gift? Some of you need to get over your pride and stop cheating people out of an opportunity to help you. Here's the last one. The obstacle is this. I just don't think I deserve it. I don't think I deserve help from anybody else. I don't think I deserve help from Jesus himself. Let me make this as subtle as I can. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus went to the cross to acknowledge the fact that we were all helpless. Jesus came alongside of us and says, you're not worthy, none of us are, but I'm going to pour out on you grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness, and all you have to do is ask. Ask for help, I'll help you. That's how it works, you know. Ask for help and I'll help you. So here's what we're going to do. Um, at the beginning of our worship time together today, I actually gave you an exam and you got all the answers right. You just didn't know what the test was. If you actually paid attention to the outline, you'll notice something. Everything that we've talked about today, you already answered when you were singing at the beginning of the service. So I'm going to invite the, uh, the worship team to come back and join me for just a second because we're going to take another opportunity to answer our own obstacles. Pride, asking for help feels weak. I don't want to bother anybody and I don't think I deserve it. We're going to answer that together as a church this morning.
Because we're going to do something that um, Andy kind of coined a phrase this week. If you read the book of Psalms, every once in a while, you'll see a little tiny Hebrew word off on the side. The word is Selah. Selah means simply this. Stop, breathe, and think about it. Just, just take a moment. And I understand. The hawks are on. The DVR's waiting. I get it. But what if we just stopped for just a moment and actually had a conversation with Jesus before we go on about his day? It's not your day. It's not mine. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. Be glad in it. Maybe today you're struggling with pride and the greatest spiritual step you could take would be to say, God, help me. Take a position of humility. Help me, God. You sang about it earlier. Let's sing about it again. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.